everybody, and welcome to the Jimmy Palumbo Show. That's right. I'm Jimmy Palumbo, your host, and this is show number 76 of the Jimmy Palumbo Show. Uh, I can't believe we're 76 episodes into this as uh, my guy behind the glass makes the most obnoxious sounds ever. And once again, the reason of that is because, you know, this is show number 76, but in the last month, he has been the... I'll call it the Giancarlo Stanton of ho- of co-hosts. In and uh, out of the lineup. Yeah. My, my, uh, your friend and mine behind the glass is Chris Gucci. I've had Dave fill in, uh, and those shows were great. I've had myself fill in by myself, uh, and I love the fact that you didn't even listen to the show last week, which I had to do from Los Angeles uh, on my own, which uh, it was interesting. My voice was bothering me, the whole dry air out there. I, mean, I think I sounded like Burgess Meredith. Um, but uh, this is show number 76. I got Chris Gucci behind the glass for, I think, only the second time in five weeks. I feel like you've been on I think, the... I think so, yeah. There was yes, a little things are, that got you, in the way. You are some Giancarlo. Um, but uh, that's it. Now, listen, show number 76, as you well know, those of you scoring at home, I like to number the show with someone's jersey uh, or a time frame. And the first one I thought 76, the first thing I was going to do was like, the 200th bicentennial. I was only 11. I remember it well. I was also going to talk about like maybe Bruce Jenner, who was like on the box of Wheaties. He was the greatest athlete in the world by running the winning the decathlon. Which now, when I watch the summer summer Olympics, nobody talks about like the decathlon lost its like buzz. I, I never. I, it's not even. T- I feel like it's not. Even, I feel like the last it. time the decathlon had buzz was when there was those two guys. They were on the. They, they were like cover competing. and they. Yeah, and they both didn't even make the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I just remember that. And of course, uh, I mean, not that much hap- has happened to Bruce Jenner in the last uh, years. Um, <laughs> uh, we're talking about you having a bad run in the last three or four weeks. What about uh, at least you didn't come back as, uh, you know, Christine Gucci. Um, not that I would have a problem with that. We'd still be able to do the show. You'd still be a Packer fan, and that would be that. But this is show number 76. Now, a lot of, a lot of you know... Uh, Fans of mine and friends of mine know right away they were like, oh, number 76. He's got to go with Curtis McGriff uh, on the Giants in the 80s. Uh, my buddy Steve did. He's driving off the road right now. But there's a couple of guys. I think this might be, and this is something I got to run by you because you're more of an NFL historian. For the Giants, as much as I, when I first started doing my prep, I was like, ah, oh, this is a bad number. And then I, as soon as I hit the, you know, Googling and stuff, I went, oh my God, this might be cumulative of amount of players might be they're actually the number one Giants number. That might be a stupid statement. Obviously, it's not 56. But because you have Rosie Greer, okay, like major player, uh, eight years with the Giants, one, then he ended up the fearsome foursome with the Rams, great player uh, and a great humanitarian. You had Jumbo Elliott, who played like, Eight years with the Giants, and then like another eight years with the Jets. That's I don't think that's ever. He's on the top. Who played for the Mets, Yankees, Giants, Jets? He's got to be the number one guy. Started for for years on both teams, and then you have the guy I'm going to go with, number seventy six for the New York Giants. Uh, by the way, there was no Yankees. Uh, some coach from a couple None. years ago, um, and we're probably out of the Yankees for a while. Um, I'm going to go with Chris Snee. Now he played for the Giants. Um, Offensive line, 2004 to 2013. He's got two Super Bowl rings. So anybody wins two rings in the NFL, you don't play that long, you win two rings. That's a cool thing. Um, Second round pick. But really, what I really want to talk about here, um, 
Well, before I get to the main thing, he also was on an O-line that Tiki Barber was a great running back for the Giants, even though I can't stand him. Uh, Brandon Jacobs, Ahmad Bradshaw, the Giants ran the football, and he was on the line for those nine years. You got to give, you know, he started every game. He was a bad, I suppose he was a nasty, tough player, blah, blah, blah. And But the main thing I got to discuss, and it was he got picked in the second round at Boston College. Tom Coughlin was the head coach. Obviously, he was in the draft room. But Chris Snee was Tom Coughlin's son-in-law, and he had already had a baby. Uh, I don't know if they had to get married because they had. I don't know any of that stuff, any of that dirt. Obviously, they're still married. still married to the same girl, um, as far as I know. But the bottom line is you get drafted in the NFL in the second round as a badass offensive lineman, and your head coach is your father-in-law. Do you realize the discipline you have to have? First of all, in the locker room, you know, guys are always ripping on bosses and stuff. And, you know, guys are like, you know, you know screw that guy. Hey, Coach, Coach Coffin's a jerk off. That's his father-in-law. And he maybe we – and yet we're talking about the grandfather of his child. It wasn't like he was just married because then you could say, oh, in-laws are jerk off. He was like a loving grandfather. And from all indications, Tom Coffin was is a really – he's a good guy. And so is Chris Snea, things I've read. But I mean, like, think about that, Chris. Yeah, like, I, going into rookie camp is intimidating enough. Then to top it all off, it's like Coughlin ran a tight ship. So, on top of being a rookie in Coughlin's system, you're also his son-in-law. And then think about the, the Giants and the, as a as the owner, and like you got The owner's got to say, "Hey, Tom, listen, you know, second round pick. If he's not good enough, you got to, You know, like in other words, there's so many little soap operas that you have to be. It's an added pressure too from yeah, from and, Coughlin's and, perspective if he doesn't pan out. And also, uh, it probably became clear that Chris Snee was going to play right away a lot, uh, and that made it easier for Coughlin because. Um, you know, think about that. If it was like a, what if he was a semi-bust? That's brutal. And also, what about like, you know, during the preseason, the beginning, you have, you know, sometimes you get a day off. And what usually happens? Oh, you know what? Uh, don't forget Aunt Susie's kids uh, christening. Like, there's no doubt he had to go from the giant camp. So they must have, I mean, I, I've read a little bit about it. They they kind of set ground rules that they wouldn't really talk. But like, there's no way. Uh, and then plus, there's also like a financial thing. Maybe I'm looking. I find this. This is a story that's not talk. This to me should be a thirty on thirty because I don't recall anybody like you know. Uh, it's almost like I don't want to say Jerry Jones. He's an owner, but like when is the head coach had to coach his son who was good? It wasn't like he was brought in as a yeah. We're gonna draft Thurman Munson's kid. Yeah, and then if if Coughlin's in charge of like doling out contract money. Yeah, well, and if he's part GM and he had a hand in the draft remember, process, he's giving money to his grand. His grandsons, uh, 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 I mean, I just think it's a wild thing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to call a buddy of mine does documentaries. I, mean, I think it would be a great, like, obviously it would only be a great, you know, 20-minute, 30-minute thing. But you got you got to remember, like, that is – and then you think about I, Tom Coughlin's uh, wife – you gotta remember, like that, the Tom Coughlin's wife—that's her, her little boy. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. say Coughlin like is yelling and screaming at him because he missed blocks, and then like he comes home, and then God forbid, he comes home and tells his wife, uh, "Yeah, your father was busting my balls today about the, I missed a block." And then the wife gets on the phone, uh, you know, well, Tom, and then the wife's like, "Did you yell at Chris today?" Like, I get think about think about your mother, right? 
Think about, I'm trying to make it a chop sports scenario. Like if someone, your mother would find out like that you yelled at somebody or, you know, she would forget about it. Uh, it, would it, be happen, like it. It happens with Ashley here. If somebody yells at me, she sticks up for me. So I get it. it it's really funny. But anyway, so I think that's uh, unbelievable. And he ended up being a really, one of the better offensive linemen in the Giants. Really, it was like 10 years of solid. I just found out he didn't get hired. He, uh, Coughlin followed, he went to Jaguars. He was a scout and he wanted to do it with the GM, but he didn't get hired. But they did leave the door open for possibly next year. He's dying to work for the Giants again. That's what team he played for. But that's it. Number 76, the uh, 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 Chris Snee, his son-in-law, Tom Coughlin, which I don't think that's ever happened again. A coach coaching his son-in-law. Maybe it did 100 years ago. but I don't think so. I find that wild. Um, so who do you got? I, I'm, I can almost guess who you're going to get. Yeah, with. because it's, it's fairly easy. When I hear the name or the number 76, the one name that pops into my head is Orlando Pace. Uh, there you go. Non-Packer, non-Giants. So we'll just go football around. Football is coming. And he was one of the guys that when he was drafted, you never know. You're like, oh, you never know if he's going to pan out because he hasn't played yet. That wasn't the case with Orlando Pace. You were like, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. Like, yeah, right like, away. He's he one was of those that guys good. that, like, uh, came in, played right away. You know, was good right away. Was great right away. And he made to me, to me, I know that there's been great left tackles, but for my people that I've watched play, I think he's the greatest left well, tackle. Well, he gets that I've compared seen. whenever there's a draft and a big guy gets drafted, and he's like, it's I mean, the Orlando. It's he's a little the, bit he's on the status that. quo. It's a little bit like if there's a linebacker hybrid, first thing they're going to say, LT. Got, he might, yeah, he might have the speed of LT. So I agree, with you. great player. Uh, I didn't, I can't say I'm an aficionado on him, but. Uh, you just well, he everything was, you see. Put it this way. Remember those Rams teams where they had multiple Hall of Famers at skill player skill positions? He was by far their best player. Right. Still. Yes. I, I, every any any anytime there's a discussion about offensive linemen, his name comes up and will probably come up for you know fifty years from now, will still come up. So all right. Orlando Pace and Chris Snee with a special shout out to Rosie Greer and Jumbo Elliott. Uh, who, by the way, Rosie Greer wrote a book on needlepointing for men. <laughs> that's, that's crazy to me. Anyway, so that's it. Show number 76. I got to give a big shout out to all my Patreon people um, of the Jimmy Palumbo Show. Please, thank you very much. Now, we were at 11 last week, and this week we are at 11. Another fine week for me right there. We held serve uh, 11. But listen, I, I was buzzing around Patreon, and I'm like, you know, I'm com- I have to come after the Chop Sports you know, come I got I, I to come after you guys. I'm, I'm a little bit behind now, but give me some time. And uh, and we're going to, I got I to gotta catch up to you guys if I can. Um, but, you know, Patreon's a weird thing. I, I Big shout out to all, uh, you know, my friends and family who signed up. I really appreciate it. I'm just starting to organize now what I'm going to do for the $10 a month people. But for $3 a month, you just get to say, hey, I love Jimmy Palumbo. So go out, just go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And search for the Jimmy Palumbo Show. And for $3 a month, you get to show me some love. Also, don't forget, go to Instagram, which is I'm at official Jimmy Palumbo, and Twitter and TikTok. Now, I usually say Tiki Talk, but a friend of mine got mad at me. He says, you sound like an old man. Uh, get off my lawn, guys. So I'll say, yeah, check me out on TikTok um, and stuff like that. So that's my little business end of things. And we're going to be doing some new things coming up with shirts and stuff. Um, and that should be fun. And uh, that is that. So now um, I have to once again go into the weight scenario. Now you were you you were gone. Now last week I couldn't weigh in. 
because we didn't have a scale. And my buddies, honestly, I couldn't have a scale. Um, I this this one ninety two by the Rutgers Boston College game on September third um, is in jeopardy, no doubt. I uh, and I for I think I think you're going to agree. Uh, first of all, I'm number one. I'm struggling with it. It's, it's tough to lose weight at my age. Um, the second thing is I do have some like decent excuses. <laughs> In that, and I think you're just going to agree, I've been away a ton in the last three weeks. And listen, if I was super disciplined and a complete badass, then I could maintain my discipline when you're not home. But when you're not home controlling your own fridge, you know, I I find it like it's it's hard to eat out. And I've tried, um, you know, uh, since I got back from L.A. uh, three or four days ago. But it's like it's just hard to be on all over the place. And going into restaurants or ordering food and, and being able to uh, eat healthier. Um, plus, when I was in L.A., I went out meeting friends. So you know, I was having beers and wine and scotch and meeting some old friends and doing stand-up. And I always have a couple beers before the show, maybe a couple beers afterwards. I think this is a classic case of your own, own ambition at setting lofty goals and having really solid intentions when yes, setting I, goals. But then, But then, as your famous line goes... Life gets in the way, and got in the way. But I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little bummed at myself. I'm not, I'm not going to give you the pass though. If that's what you expected, no, here, I'm that's, not, that's not, not pass, happening. What I'm, what I'm going to do, I do know what my weight is right now. Okay, but I think since I didn't do it last week, and I had to do the show all by my lonesome. Um, I am, I, I'm not going to announce what my weight is because Jimmy probably knows that if he announces that, I'll shut down the segment forever. That's not true. I didn't say that. That's, you I didn't go over. Not, you didn't I go over it, two? I didn't. But you know what? I'm not discussing the weight. If I didn't, I'm not going to give my fans what my weight is. Are you I, over 200 pounds? I, that, that, again, that you're not playing the game. Yeah, so you think I'm over two, but I may not well, be. Well, the game I'm just was. bummed because I, I, have, I have to get to 192 by September 3rd, which is only 11 days away. And uh, I, I'm coming off a rough stretch. But I did, uh, did play some pickleball. I did, you know, I got... Uh, I got my uh, got my steps in, so it's not as bad. But I, I was hoping to be like uh, hovering where you know now I'm like uh oh, and I realized that I, it's just I'm struggling with it. Not being home was a problem. I went food shopping yesterday. I might be away again this week for three or four days, so I don't know yet. That's another pain in the ass. Um, but you know what? I'm not going to announce my weight uh, until I'm going to try to do it. Um, I don't know how we're going to do this because I know you. The, uh, I said I have to do it by the third. You guys have a show. Maybe I'll drive down uh, to do the Friday show and I'll, I'll do my weight. Or maybe we could do it somehow live on your you, show. Yeah, or you, could just, you could just stream in. Yeah, I might stream in to announce um, what my weight is and then we'll talk about it on the, that Monday. Um, so that's my situation. But of course, my weight scenario is sponsored by... Just because I'm not announcing my weight doesn't mean Janine and Craig at Absolute Eyewear, 42 Main Street, Woodbridge, New Jersey, 732-326-3937. Give them a call. Why? Because they are full-service opticians, optical place. They got prescription eyewear, sunglasses, everything over there, contacts, glasses for the kids, you name it, they got it. Um they have everything on site. They have a doctor in there as well. They're open five days a week. 
And Chris, I know this is a boring part of the show, but why are they closed on Sundays? That will be football Sundays, of course. And why on Wednesdays? Yeah, that's that's con- Corona Construction Softball okay. Day. Oh, you even gave the name. I like that. That's good. That's good. Plus, really, we see, at one point, I was like, Craig, why don't you guys, you guys got to be open on Wednesdays. I mean, you don't play softball anymore. You're fat and you're slow. Um, and he's still playing ball and I'm not. Although, that's not true. I got something coming up later on in, the, in this show. But yes, you got to go check out Absolute Eyewear. They're great. You get $100 off a a complete pair of uh, glasses if you mention the Jimmy Palumbo Show. And um, they got glasses for every budget, including mine. You, of course, need glasses. You're a bat. And you still haven't gone. So, And you know why? Because let me tell you why I need you to go. Because their their advertising slogan, which is catching, you know, Madison Ave by storm is that when you leave there, you don't feel like a jerk-off. And I can't name, I mean, you know, when I when I leave at play, many places, you feel like a jerk-off when you leave, but not at Absolute Eyewear. Good people, they'll take care of you. Give them a call, 732-326-3937. And, of course, they have Ray-Ban, Coach, Ralph Lauren, Jimmy Choo, Paul O'Neill, Silhouette, Michael Coz, Vogue, Maui Jim, Costa Del Mar, and Charles Oakley sunglasses. Um, I did a little, little little preview of Paul O'Neill that I come up in just a second. So that's it. They sponsor my um, my weight scenario segment, which has been not going great, but they stick with me. That's what you love, and that's that. All right, <laughs> let's get. I know some of you people at home say, oh, you talk about sports. Well, you know, I want to talk about sports a little bit. But again, I'm not Mike and the Mad Dog. I'm not the Chop Sports Daily Show. You guys do things differently than I do. I just be quick. I still think the Yankees stink. They're in a tremendous slide. I don't think this is temporary. Well, Um, let's be honest. When the Yankees were 38 games up over the 500 mark, you were like the Yankees stink. So now Okay, okay, okay. But I... You were right. I didn't... I, <laughs> you said there's hole damage. No, there. you know and why? I, I never disagreed. No, because we all you got to do is watch the games. If you're looking at, uh, like I had some, uh, my buddy who's a Cubs fan in L.A. was like, well, relax, you're 10 games up. I'm like, you don't understand. Our, we were like 51-0, and 0, and now and we're like 12-1, and th- we're like one of the worst teams in the league right now playing. And when you watch the games, they don't hit, uh, they don't play the field, they look flat. They look dead. They don't have Giancarlo in the lineup, which even though he wasn't doing great before, he's still someone you got to pitch to. And uh, there's no threat in the middle of the lineup. They lost Carpenter, so they are banged up. But it's not even about injuries to me. There's just something that they were they had the same flaw last year, and a little bit of an anomaly with the record, and uh, and they're just not playing good baseball. Yesterday was a huge game to win that game. Uh, because you you're talking five games in the loss column, and you still got 42 games to go. That's you. I mean, I, to me, the Yankees can easily not win the division the way they play the last 45 games. Um, very frustrating. They don't the, the, the innings. Oh, how fast are their innings when they get up? Like you can't be like vacuuming with the game on in the background. Like the Yankees come up, they're due up next inning. So and so, so and so, so and so, and then you, next thing you know, you see the Yankee pitcher on the mound. Um, terrible at bats, fast innings. You know, we could talk about Boone's press conference game, but he's frustrated like me. I should bang the table now. Um, you know, uh, 
I still think Boone's not a bad manager. He does seem to make, it does seem to see every decision he makes backfires. He brings in a relief pitcher and he gets bombed. He's just an okay manager. I'm not a fan. I know you're obviously. not a fan, but I, I don't think he's the problem. Let's see how he, you know, right. we, we can judge him now because he has to. Uh, you have to understand, up. though, then is any pro, is any manager even ever good? If he's not the problem, is any ever manager ever no, I, 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 the I solution? Just, I, think the, I think the Yankees' problem is they, they have too many guys in the lineup over a 162-game season that are batting under 230. And I've been talking about this batting average thing all year. No, no, no. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, you know why it matters? I'll get to it right away. First of all, for those of you scoring at home, you know I always talk about how did Rizzo do. And uh, what the hell are my notes here? Rizzo is, I think he was three for, uh, what the hell are my damn notes on this? I got to bring it. I don't know. He was three for something. Three for 14 or something like that um, this week. Um, and no, he was four for 18, excuse me. Four for 18 with one home run. I still, he stinks. He bats 221. But everybody's like, no, Jimmy, you can't go by that. And I say, yes, you do. Like, for instance, I've been ripping on Lindor, right? Lindor's now batting 276. When I started to bust his balls uh, two months ago, saying this guy's not worth 340, I still don't think that. But you know what? He's batting 276 now. So, the reason why you see him on the highlight page is because his batting average went up 25 points. You can't have guys batting 219, 209, 165, 222, 212. The whole lineup, it's terrible. Uh, I, I think Judge should lead off because he's there, he's there, he gets on base. Um, I, front Yankees are frustrating me. This whole Maybe the whole Major League Baseball is frustrating me. Get off my lawn. I don't understand why now he's a great player. What is he batting? 221? Bucky Dent batted 240, and everybody says he couldn't hit. Jim Mason had a better. And another thing about Rizzo, and again, everybody hates me for this, and I don't care. I'm sticking to it. He's also 40 points off his uh, career average. Does that count for anything? Like, he, he's a career 265 hitter, right? He's batting 221. So does that say anything, Chris? It's, it, to me, it seems like lefties struggle in Yankee Stadium because of the short porch, and it's counterproductive because they're just – you know, it's it's changing his approach. Go the other way. I just go the other way. I think his last name is Rizzo. He appeals to appeals to the fan base, and that's that. But I got to give Lindor a shout out. Been busting his balls. He's been playing great. And look, the Yankees. I find this funny. The Yankees got two games with the Mets, and they're facing. Uh, they got to play LeBron, and then on Tuesday they got to play Jordan. No, and Degrom. Degrom got pushed back to Wednesday. No, I, Oh, he did get pushed? All right, I just found that out now. Thank otherwise, God. Otherwise, well, I, I, I didn't mean DeGrom. I said LeBron. In yeah. other words, I feel like, who, who are the Yankees playing? Oh, just Jordan and then LeBron James. Okay. And, and now, you know, there's only a two-game series, right? So, yeah, I'm, I'm going tonight, too. Right. Who, so who's – listen. Uh, Herman against Scherzer great. tonight. Yeah, that's that, – listen. When, gonna they, it's going to be a quick one, at least. Okay, let me explain you this. Scherzer on the mound. He don't play When's around. the last time the Yankees did well against a good pitcher? Three years? I mean, they've gotten to Verlander at times. They've, the Yankees have hit some good pitching. It's more uh, like a timely they hitting. Really, they haven't gotten to you. Gotten to Verlander? Not in the playoffs, but yeah, they, like yeah, Verlander. Well, they the one time they got to him, they ended up losing. There's the blood game in anyway. the water. The Mets smell it. I would really get a kick out of, even though I think the Mets are are, are playing good ball. I would love to see the Yankees win two in a row. It'd be a lot of fun. I'll tell the Mets fans, calm down, everybody, calm down. I don't see it though. Also, it'll just. Be, it, I almost. Obviously, I want to see it happen, but it'll also make Yankee fans like just like when they had that walk off win the other day. Everyone was like, "Oh, 
It's like, no, there was, no, they gave up three runs in the top half of the 10th. Chapman shouldn't have come in in that spot. Yes, I can it, name a million things. If you're a Yankee fan like me, all you have to do is watch the movie Titanic. And after they hit the iceberg, there's a scene of the engine room. Okay. That is what's going on with the Yankees right now. And if you don't think so, you, I know Dave, Dave for a while was like, relax, relax. Okay. I think he's changed his tune. If you watch the games, they're, they're terrible. I don't know if he's changed. They don't have good players. They just don't. Um, uh, my, my, the players are, and, and the players that you think are good are batting 220. Makes me crazy. Anyway, listen, bottom line is though, they did build up a lead. They probably will make the playoffs. And you know what? You get in the playoffs and it's a little damp, a little raining, and you win one game and anything can happen. Because there's been other seasons where the Yankees have limped in. But I feel like this Yankee way has been going on for three years and it never seems to end. Anyway, all right, Giants preseason. Um, uh, who cares? Um, I know you guys touched upon it this today on your show. Um, what I tried to meant when I typed in, uh, when I texted onto your show, is that you the NFL – is 17 weeks. You got to go by that. You can be lousy and go four and one. But if you're four and one, you have a chance of making the playoffs, even if you stink. And if you're one and four and you're, oh my God, three, three uh, last second losses, if you're one and four, you may not make the playoffs. And all the giant offseason moves, like I said, I think the Giants had a huge draft because right after the college season, the consensus, one and two picks in the NFL draft. If you look at everybody's thing, they had Thibodeau and the other guy. I just, I'm just calling him the other guy because he's an offensive lineman. You don't hear about them for years. They were all one and two, two and one, one and two, one and two. Then they do those combine things when you got to jump up and hit and hit piano keys, which when's the last time, unless you're trying to block a, a field goal, that's ridiculous, and how fast you are and blah, blah, blah. So I, to me, you judge them by the games. Um, I have no idea how good the Giants are going to be. They'll probably be better because I don't think you can get worse than they were last year. So that's not saying much. I know you guys had them around six or seven wins, and I agree with that. I thought Jones looked pretty good. I thought the receiver Sills looked good. He was up there diving for catches. Uh, I thought he played. I thought he looked okay. But the Giants' line has to get better, and they're, the Giant offensive line may not get better till midseason. You know, they may patchwork it and get it and figure out who the guys are. And it'll just be a little better. It's not going to be great. Um, and see how the guy from Alabama, O'Neal, comes in and does well. Uh, but the giant preseason, it's all, about, it's all about the NFL is Sunday. When you're watching a red zone, that's when the giant games mean something. you got to play the games. And I'm sick of, like, thinking the Giants are going to be better. Um, and this whole Tom Brady thing, I'm going to say top five most obnoxious storylines in sports in the last five years. Uh, I thought the Aaron Rodgers stuff was bad enough with the, all the crap he was going through, but at least it was like uh, it, a lot of it didn't come from Aaron. But this Tom Brady thing, uh, the ball's on you. Okay, you're the GOAT, fair enough. But this is the NFL. This is a huge machine. And you're like, oh, yeah, Tom's not going to be with us till. Let's see, his flight to the Bahamas is on this. He won't, By the time he gets home, then he has to do his wash and get the kids ready for school. He'll be back, I don't know, maybe Wednesday. Like, what is that? What message? And, and of course, you got Todd Bowles, who's his second uh, time as a head coach, right? I mean, uh, as a coach. And now you're like, um, 
well, Tom, like, Tom, what are you doing? Yeah, just across the board, it puts everybody in a tough spot because you're and, making And at the them... most critical point, this is where NFL players don't practice. After the season starts, practice becomes chessboard stuff. Uh, okay, we're playing the Packers. We're going to do a lot of down and outs, fake short and go longs. We're going to do a lot of running. That's what it's a chess game. They and they and they do walkthroughs. They're barely in pads, and so now is the time where you got to get down and dirty. And listen, I know Tom Brady's great. Okay, I can't stand him. And how anybody can actually root for Tom Brady blows my mind. You can't just disappear for two weeks. Now, if you're injured, come out and say it. Oh, HIPAA laws, HIPAA laws. All right, are you kidding me? At least uh, Tom, they're saying nothing. I'm getting now. You guys brought up, did he? You know, is, is he afraid to pee in a cup because he's taking some kind of thing? Uh, you know, uh, Dorian that, Gray. That was I said that tongue in cheek, but I personally, I personally look at the Tom Brady situation. I look at him over the last six, seven years, and just look at his face. This guy looks like he's getting younger. I don't care what he's eating, kale. And of course, you know what? If he did, if he, I'm not saying he, you know, if he pees dirty, I am. Whole, I'll say it. Okay. Tom Brady. That's because you're an Aaron Rodgers yeah. fan. Aaron Rodgers, meanwhile, just takes drugs that don't come up in the tests. But the, 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 uh, matter of fact, I, I don't know why Daniel Jones doesn't call up Aaron Rodgers. Say, what are you taking? What I need it. What are you taking? Like, dude, you, you smoke gummies on Monday. You take three hydroxy cuts on Tuesday and then go to my guy, Ron, and he gives you this purple mess you put in a cup drink it and you'll throw four touchdown passes um i just think it's obnoxious i mean come on already a retire maybe you got a banged up knee maybe you got a concussion and antonio brown as crazy as he is if you could ever decipher through whatever language he's trying to speak when he's talking he makes some good points about look if this was any if this was me could you imagine i needed time off for two weeks to get Uh, my mind right with my family he would be dennis Rodman. Yes, and same thing goes for Anthony Rizzo, uh, but I'm not going to touch that political hotbed there. Um, you know, I'll let Gary Sheffield handle that. The uh, ooh, there's a little, there's a little dicey. Am I getting controversial here? No, I actually like Rizzo. By the way, I just don't. People go nuts over him. Like my God, uh, Reggie batted two sixty five. Oh, it's different now. Yeah, okay. And the Yankees can't hit. You're part of the problem, Rizzo. Um, Anyway, the Brady thing makes me sick. I, it, what a terrible storyline! And I, to me, the, it's like it's like, what are you doing, Tom? Uh, you know, your wife makes more money than you anyway. Anyway, that's it. And no, that's I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed on that. Uh, well, I had some cool things yesterday. I did a really cool thing yesterday. Um, my brother, of course, has got you know ten season tickets of football, two to the. Uh, basketball we got invited as friends and family of the program to the Rutgers final scrimmage and um it was cool man we we were at the Rutgers stadium there shy stadium and there was not many people there uh it was a personal invite it wasn't it was a not it was a private event the whole thing but man I don't know dude listen I I know I'm only talking about Rutgers here but it's really cool as a fan you know there's there was maybe 200 people in the stands and they were running a full scrimmage. And when you sit like 50-yard line, 40 rows up, it was hot watching it. You can't believe how enormous a college football program is. Besides the 75 scholarship players, there's 30 walk-on players. There's staffing. You look at this thing, and it looks like, and like it's a massive ship. 
You know what I mean? And the way they run their pregame scrimmage practices, moving the ball, quarterbacks coming in, all five of them, three of them are uh, have a chance to play a lot. The other two guys are just either uh, freshmen or walk-ons to, to handle throwing. Re- you see this whole thing. They, it looks like ants and cockroaches on the field. Guys going all over the place. You're like, oh, my. And there's Greg Chiano in the middle of it. You're like, you know, what a huge job that is. And I mean this for every college, really. But to see, I never been privy to a scrimmage like that. And then you realize, like, whoa, this is, you have to have, and there's all kinds of compliance rules. You only allowed so many hours. You realize, and then it was cool. I got to sit with um, uh, the uh, Kevin McConnell, who's a, uh, one of the uh, people in the front office there. And he was explaining us the ins and outs of, you know, college funding and our fund and NIL agreements. And he was just going through different ways and to help build a program and a little bit about the, the new Big Ten package, but they signed for $70 billion, right? It's $9 billion, whatever that was. Um, yeah, it's a lot more than lot, that. Yeah, and um, so that was uh, – it was really cool to sit and talk with him, and and uh, he, he gave us some insights to college football, which that was cool. I got to sit with Chris Pandemonium in Piscataway, Carlin, which was really cool. It turns out we have a common friend uh, up here in Mawa who is involved in uh, ESPN Radio. And um, me and Chris sat and talked, and we were talking about different games, and I gave him credit. I was like, dude, some of the games you have to announce, you know, uh, the Ohio State game, they're up 45 nothing, three minutes into the second quarter, and you have to actually announce the rest of the game you know, that's when you got to – you want to talk about staying in your zone. Uh, he, he smiled. He goes, hey, listen. He goes, the audience can quit on us, but we can't quit uh, on, the, on, the, on doing the game. And I'm like, no, you're a professional. It's awesome. I give you credit. I would be like – I would be like, ugh. Bob Uecker. Yeah, I would be a mess, you know. But uh, so I had a couple of nice private conversations with him that were really – Gone cool. off the reservation. Right. So uh, I also got to hang out with Marco Battaglia. Nine-year vet in the NFL, big Rutgers guy. Cincinnati Bengal. Yep, yes, he was, and uh, that was very cool. And uh, of course, they were all uh, kind of—they uh, got a kick out of me because one of the guys knew that I was on Scott Farrell, and they know I talk about Rutgers, and they've seen me on TV. And uh, Car- Carlin and I, and they were talking about this show and that show. And uh, but I was like, hey, listen, I'm not the guy to talk to. You got to talk to my brother because they were like, you know. And where do you, you know, when, when do you whip out your checkbook? And I was like, ooh, not I, said the king. Go talk to my brother. My brother is a, a uh, he donates there. Um, uh, but my brother's great because even though he could, he does donate to the program uh, a decent amount, only with his, with his season tickets as well as other things. And he's also on the board of uh, Rutgers Business School advisor to kids who, for getting jobs. And he's helped a bunch of Rutgers students out um, with his place in the business world. But my brother doesn't want, like, free tickets. He doesn't want to be wined and dined. Like, my brother wants to know about, like, the nuts and bolts of the program. And it's really, it was really nice to listen to him talk to Kevin McConnell and Bataglia about, he's into like the structure of it. How does this all work? Um, and as, and compared to other schools, it was really cool. Um, it was just a cool day. And I thought, uh, I thought the Rutgers, uh, uh, Gavin Wimsat, he threw a 45 yard ball effortlessly. Maybe it was even 50 yards. And I was like, that's why he's – he looked like Mike – you know, I'm not saying he looked like Michael Vick, but it was one of those throws where you go – like you and I would have to take the ball, run 20 steps, and throw it as hard as we can and watch this floating duck go 30 yards. You know what I mean? And this was like – he kind of rolled out and just flicked it, and the ball went like 50 yards. Um, 
So it was cool to see all that. I really had a good time. At all you know that. who his body looks like to me? Young, a young Randall Cunningham. Yeah, it does. He's big too. But you know yeah, what? But because the, he's going to fill out. But if you look at pictures of Randall Cunningham when he was 18, 19 years old. Well, listen, this kid is similar. only 18. And I don't. Yeah. I still don't think he's going to beat out Noah Vedral. <laughs> but it was cool to be at a scrimmage. I'm going to play a lot regardless. I don't mean to talk about Rutgers. It was just cool to be at a college scrimmage is what I'm saying. And then the funniest thing is, and this is for everybody out there, they take off their helmets and you realize these are kids. Kids. They look like like they look like Natalie's friends. I mean, like they, you look at him and you're like, the guy looks like uh, he's the size of a refrigerator. He takes his helmet off and you're like, uh, it's like, excuse me, sir. Like they're like they're little boys. They're kids. Oh my god! You don't realize that on the field they got the helmets on. When you see a college player off, you know, walking by you, you're like, I, I can yell at him like, pick up that. Like it's like they're like clean your room. It's like it's unbelievable. Um, anyway, so that was pretty cool. Uh, uh, we talked about LA last week. Um, a couple things I thought were, you know, funny. I, the weird thing was I had a, I, maybe I touched upon this last week, but going back to LA, uh, you know, I've been acting now for 33 years. I, I, I made a, I've eked out a living. Um, you get a wave of emotions when you go back to LA, especially in the world I'm in. I, I know Los Angeles is a huge city. It's a giant suburb. And but you go there, of course. I go to the areas where showbiz is, and you drive by studios, Paramount, Warner Brothers, and you you just there's an overwhelming like I get weird. I was like, part of me feel like Jimmy, you were out here for ten years. Were you successful? Did you do anything? And then you see billboards, and I remember on the Warner Brothers lot. And if I discuss this already, so be it. There, they have these giant, giant. Uh, posters of TV shows and some movies that are on the wall. There's like nine of them. And I remember back in the day when I lived in LA, I would drive by there and I would be like, wow, there's eight posters. And I've been on seven of those shows or six of those shows. It was ER, Friends, a bunch of others now, you know. And I'd be like, damn, that's pretty impressive. You know what I mean? Like, that's cool. And now they have shows. I don't even know what the shows are. And you just feel like, wow. You know, and then you're like, well, I did work. I, I do the right things. You just have this wave of emotion. Um, and I don't really say I loved L.A. I always felt like a misfit. I came home all the time. I summered in Manasquan. I came home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Then I started thinking, did I do enough? Did I really embrace the community as much as I should? And then I, your brain just, you know, when you get older, your brain, you look back on your life and you, your brain just plays tricks. Um, you know, uh, then you go, wait a minute, Jimmy, you did do... You did a tons of stand-up shows, all the wrong ones, in front of people who were not listening, that, that uh, all in front of other comics who were, had their head in their notebook getting ready for their set. And then when they were up on stage, I had my head in my notebook, and I could care less. And then I also thought that every gig was life-changing, every stand-up set, like, this could make me. And that was such a foolish way to look at things. Um, so I look back, and I'm like, I did do a lot. And I drove an hour and a half to go do a six-minute open mic in Anaheim. Uh, in traffic, um, and that's why I'm happy now. My stand-up is is better, and I think it's because there's people sitting in the audience. I want to I want to be there. Uh, but I, I feel you know, like the the LA comedy scene is probably like the the same. You could compare it to like a Dodgers game or a Yankees game. Well, you know what? Yes and no. I I, I did read in the LA Times, you know, top sixty places to see stand-up, and the, the, people are saying that it's actually gone pretty. It's it, it's actually doing well. 
Um, but I, I didn't see it when I was there. But I, the rooms I did last week were cool rooms. And it was nice to, you know, especially that last night. Well, uh, maybe even it's been a while, though. Like, there's been a major shift in culture well, yeah, and comedy listen, scene in L.A. over the last decade I, or I so. Really haven't, I haven't been there in 15 years, really. I haven't done stand-up in 15 years. But I was most proud of that last night. We are at the Dime Dive Bar. And there was all the young, hip, little cool people. And uh, I got on, like, an aging Jabbar. And, you know, I was like, you know, when, when, uh, I... You were like HIV magic. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, that's horrible. <laughs> I, um, you know what? I thought I was one is, of the better... Is it? I saw a meme the other day. I don't know if it's fake or not, but it was like Magic Johnson donates blood. Like, Yeah, I, that, that whole storyline, I'll never understand. It's another story. Um, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, the Showtime show. But, um, no, it was just, I was very proud that I did well in the front of that hip crowd, um, which I think I would have been intimidated with because I never felt hip... Um, but I, um, I did well on that Tuesday night, which was cool. And, um, but another funny thing happened out in LA. Um, okay. This is going to sound, I'm going to be such a wuss here. I left my, my, I'm an electric razor guy. I don't have a big stubble beard. I don't have a five o'clock shadow. So I've been using an electric razor for literally 40 years. Okay. Uh, if not more. And I left my electric razor on my uh, desk here in Mawa. So now I'm like, all right, I don't have to shave every day. But eventually, you know, I was doing a show. I wanted to look good. It's so funny when you use an electric razor and then you're asked to use a regular blade. Two things happen. Number one, just because I'm 57, I was like a rookie. I was like a 13-year, uh, 13-year-old uh, halfback out of, uh, you know, Patterson trying to figure out I had to do the foam washing my face putting the thing on I was so bad at it the only thing I didn't do is I guess because the blades now are like they're, 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 they're better than when I than when I had the single blade stuff when I first started um, I but it was like oh my god I literally had to shave three times because I would wipe it all off and go well that was horrible it took me like an hour to shave and I'm laughing at myself because I'm like Jimmy, if you go away for a big trip, you cannot leave your electric razor. The electric razor now is like, okay, iPhone, wallet, American Express card, keys, and my electric shaver. Because it's like, you know, especially getting around the nose and the ear and everything. I struggled like a dog. And I was just laughing at myself like, you know, what what a joke. I, I, I'm i not good at shaving because I didn't, I've only shaved nine times my whole life with a razor. So when I, I use a razor and the rare occurrence that i use a razor because i'm the same way i i always ca have like a little bit of a shadow but it's, but it's mainly because i refuse to take a razor to my face just what it does to my top lip i feel like my top lip is like 11 inches long i don't right. feel right i don't no, look right and plus you're not in other words it's like it's like you're taking a linebacker and say oh just kick some extra points that's now, not what i do so now hear hear this out ready and this what you're talking about right now and that feeling you have when you have to do it and you're like oh this just doesn't look right it doesn't feel right imagine having a beard for like 11 12 years in a row and then around july the Yankees trade for you, and they're like, "Okay, come in here and oh, perform boom. under this pressure." But you got to take your comfort zone off your face. Well, the, the, uh, yes, it's brutal, and you, you got to have. You know what you got to do? You got to go to a place that does it for you. Because yeah, it, it's. I I used to grow a goatee every now and then because I actually can grow a full, uh, really cool like not a goatee like like a, a, a like a Fu Manchu a, a beard like a, on my chin, whatever you that, call that it. That is a goatee. Okay, a goatee on there, 
But I look, if I put a cowboy hat on and you don't hear me speak, I look like a badass country western star. That's like Stone, like Co- Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. I got pictures of you. You laugh your ass off. But, uh, as a matter of fact, when the Yankees stink like they do, I'm like, get rid of this beard thing. I want beards. I want long Yeah, I, I mean, I've been on that train right. since But then again, when the Yankees, Yankees are doing well, I'm like, clean cut, corporate, badasses. Anyway, um, so that was really funny. I was like, I struggled. I made a mess of my friend's uh, bathroom. I had to, like, took me, it took me an hour to shave. It took me like a half hour to clean up. I had foam all over the place. Anyway, the other thing is, I bragged about, I went to Kite. K Y T E to um, to rent my car and man it was beautiful. Got off the plane, got on this Wally Park Express uh, thing, got dropped off. There was a guy there greeted me. Everything was on the phones. Da da da. Got in my car, beautiful little 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 car there. I drove. It was brand new, less than a thousand miles. Great. Now I have to go home, and I start getting the texts. Your drop off location has changed. You're, uh, you got to bring it here. You can't contact us before 7 a.m. Well, I had an 8 a.m. flight. You got to get there early. And I couldn't figure out where to drop off this car. And I'm like, and so now I'm like, I kind of got to the address, but there was different buildings and parking garages. There was no sign that said kite cars here like there was when they dropped me off. And dude, I literally, and this is something that's so funny. You just don't care and like, I was like, I was, I had to get to the airport. My, my, you know, I didn't have, I had a decent amount of time, but it was getting there. I just literally got out of the car, threw the keys on the front seat, took a photo of it with something in the background, gave the address kind of where I was at, and walked away. And I had to call my own Uber, and I got to the, you know, I was only like two miles away from the airport, but I had to call an Uber. It cost me like ten dollars to go into the airport, and I was like, I just left a car that it was under my responsibility in a parking lot. This is insane. But of course I was so frustrated. I left my, and this is for Janine here. I left my Casa Del Mar sunglasses in the rental car. So somebody has my glasses now. I tried to go through their customer service, which is they're like, yeah, we don't even know where that car is. Yeah. We don't know where the car is, but they did. Like, yeah. Why don't you check inside the car? Cause you still have it. I was so frustrated. I, I, I did the proper paperwork. Maybe I'll get them back. I'm hoping, but so far I haven't heard from them. And, and I, some guys should have already called me. I mean, they're in there. They're not. So I'm very bummed. So it ended very shitty. And I got, and of course, what do these companies do? How was our service? How was your trip? How do you think we did? And I was like, you guys had a perfect game going through seven, and you gave up 11 runs in the last two innings. Very unclear where to drop off the car. I will say, though, it was less than $300 to rent a car, and I was there for a week. So um, I, it was a, a smoldering ending to my trip there. The other thing I, I didn't really discuss, which is pretty cool, maybe I did less. If I'm repeating myself, I was by myself last week, so in a box in, 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 in the Hollywood Hills, so... If I'm repeating something, so be it. Um, I was able to have dinner. If you ever go out to L.A., and I always recommend, listen, I'm not saying L.A. is like, oh, go to Rome, go to Chicago, New York, you know, uh, uh, all these great cities, uh, you know, Paris. But if you do go out to L.A., you got to do the classic Hollywood tourist trap things. You got to go on a tour bus. They're funny as hell. They point out, you know, Lucio Ball's house and Nat King Cole's house and that's where Sinatra lives. And, you know, here's the Hollywood sign. Here's the view from the Hollywood. It's, it's, it's really cool to do. 
Um, especially if you're not in showbiz, you're like, oh, wow, that's where, you know, that's where so-and-so lives. And that's, that's where Spielberg lives. And it's well, a lot of it, 80% of it is true. At one point, these guys did live there. Um, I actually, uh, was able to drive around, as I mentioned last week, to Bing Crosby's house and Bob Hope's house. And I hadn't done that in a while. And I gotta—I know when I say Bing Crosby, you smile because our audience has no idea. But it's cool to drive in front of these homes that are still there. And a lot of them aren't that impressive anymore because back then the, the valley was nothing. So I did all that. Uh, but one of the things we did on the last night or second to last night, and if I mentioned this last week, I apologize. But if you ever go to Burbank, there's a restaurant there called The Smokehouse. And dude, this place just reeks of 1952. It's got like the leather seats. It's dark. It serves like prime ribs, cod, uh, uh, baked potatoes, rice pilaf, right? But it's got a cool bar. It looks like something where, you know, Cagney and and and, and uh, uh, Bogey and Bacall sitting at the bar getting. The, I went in there. I got a. I, I ordered a martini with the three olives. My nephew was like, "Wow, they have old pictures on the wall." It, it kind of it smells a little damp inside. I'm like, this place is great. I it's it's one of those places, Chris. If, you, if I'm ever out in L.A. with you, I'm like, Chris. We got to go here. You'll get it. As soon as you walk in, you're going to go. Honestly, you said it. prime rib and baked potato. That's right, like it, my, it's, you can't go yeah, well, wrong. I, listen, but it's the ambiance that we're no, talking it, about. No, it, it's so cool. It's, what, it's was got, the, what was the bar you were talking about? Is it kind of got like the same feel as the, what was it, the tin? The tin? The, the dime? The, what, the, um, you were talking oh, no, about the, the, the Foxfire. The Foxfire. No, the Foxfire is a different feel. The Foxfire is where people in 1971 who first came out to LA, all excited about their career, went in there to drink at noon and they're still there. It's like it's like the Twilight Zone. Once you go into the fo- there's no windows. Once you go into the Foxfire, and my, shout out to my boy Marco Owens who played. That's still my favorite bar in L.A. But it's a different. That's where you go to drink. You want to go to die. And some people you look at them and go like, Well, when did you get here? And you don't mean L.A. You mean into the bar because <laughs> it's like you 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 die there. That's what it is. Even my nephew was like. I can't wait to things go my way, and this is going to be the. It's only like the way. waiting room at the um, in Beetlejuice. <laughs> it's it's so yeah, it's so great. Uh, but this place, the Smokehouse, it was great. Plus, I had dinner with um, Mark DiCarlo, Yanni, his wife, of course, and Kate Connor, and Andy Hirsch. They're married. They're, that's those. That's their professional names. But it was cool because Andy Hirsch plays David Stern on the show Showtime, and he was really humble about it. He went through. I went through like he was saying how. Because David Stern is young on the show, and if this show's a hit, it can go on for six, seven, eight years. They could skip years, and he could actually grow in character with David Stern. There's no question about it. And he was also thrilled to be. They, they start shooting this week. They're probably shooting today. And um, he was just thrilled to be part of the. He was talking about how awesome the cast is. And he wasn't just saying it less. I could say a lot of people say, oh, it's a great cast. He was truly like Jimmy. The, the the guys who were playing the NBA guys are wonderful. It's a really nice feel. Um, and I was like, dude, I love the show. And I don't even know anything about the Lakers. I, I, I borderline hate the Lakers. It actually makes it better the less you know about that. Yes, that I agree. And plus, you know, David Stern went to Rutgers, so I'm into that. And he got a kick out of that. We had a lovely dinner, but we were just in this. I went. I got a piece of steak. I got the. I got the mixed veggies with a baked potato. I know I got mashed potatoes. Made it even worse. And uh, I got the martini. Of course, nobody. Nobody really. My nephew had a couple of beers, but I was like, they're like, oh, you get a martini. I'm like, 
when you go to the smokehouse, you got to drink like, matter of fact, I wanted to have three of them. <laughs> and I wish it was during the day because that's where you go for lunch. Um, I was so bummed I couldn't get there uh, the next day. But anyway, so shout out to the smokehouse in Burbank. It's just a cool old. Now, some people are going to be like, Jimmy, that place sucks. It's overpriced. Yes, yes, and yes. But if you want to see what it was like in L.A., and L.A. gets rid of all their old places. Uh, there's a couple, There's this big steakhouse. The oldest steakhouse is right on Hollywood Boulevard. Can't believe I'm dropping the name right now. Um, that's cool, too. Very cool. Uh, but this place is just really cool. It almost little reeks of the 70s, too, like early 70s. Like Johnny Carson used to go there all the time. Um, so that was cool. And a shout-out to my boy Andy Hirsch and playing David Stern on Showtime. The other thing is uh, I played softball for Bad Mojo. Now, I played there 15 years ago. And I in there, in there, if there was a 30-30 on Bad Mojo softball team in the Beverly Hills League, I would definitely have at least four minutes. And I talked about it. I made one of the greatest catches ever in the history of softball with second and third with one out, up by a run, over the shoulder, like Willie Mays-esque, which, of course, I had to tell every single new person on the team about my catch. I also did something very unique. I hit four home runs on four pitches. And lifetime, I've had maybe seven home runs total. This was four bombs. I just hit ropes in the gap, and I hit one to left field, center field, right field, and then back to left field. So left field's the best player all the time. I beat his ass. So in the in the annals of softball in Beverly Hills, I am I have a little. They should probably put a little money. You got a sliver for Johnny okay. Trino. but sadly, I'm 57, and uh, you know uh, what can I tell you? So they're a pretty good team. They got a mixture of old and young. And so my buddy Mark's like, well, you know, you, you can either play right field or you can catch. He's like, but I really want you to catch. I'm like, all right, let me catch. So I'm having fun with the umpire, but you can catch almost standing up because catching is a pain in the ass. You got to like squat down all the time. But this league, you kind of step back and let it bounce. But I got to tell you something. I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm like I got to do something in this game. First of all, I was two for three. And I hit the ball hard because it's six to 12. You can hit it. And, um, so I'm catching, and the guy hits a foul pop behind behind me, and I got a late jump on it. I thought it was going to hit the screen, but it didn't, and I I, I kind of ran back for it. I didn't get to it. Of course, they were ripping on me. Jimmy, you got just totally should have had it, but it would have been a great catch. So in my head, I'm like, I got to I got to do something in this game. Well, two innings later, a guy hits, it spins off his bat, a pop fly but only like eight feet in front of me in fair territory, right? And you could tell I had a backspin, and I was ready. I was like, you know when you're just like, for some reason, right before the pitch, I was like, I gotta, if this, I'm going to catch some. But you shouldn't really do as a catcher because the catcher gets, what, one and a half balls every four games, right? Yeah. So don't get – I was just ready. Plus, I was already standing up, and I'm not that fat and slow yet. Well, he spun this thing, and I ran up, but the guy – the guy got in my way, like the runner, and I don't know what the rule is, and I guess I don't know where he was in the base path, and I'm, in my mind, I was like a young Thurman, but I come running up, and but he got in my way, but what happened was the ball hit the ground, right, and it was definitely going foul, but I was in fair territory trying to get to it, and dude, the ball snapped right into my hand, and then I realized, wait a minute, I'm in fair territory. The ball is in fair territory. Like, this is a live ball. 
And you make the throw. And my buddy Mark was playing first, and I'm like, and I was all into it. I had to wait for him to get to the bag, and I threw a rocket to first base to get him. And it was even the umpire was like, it was a great play. Now, did I know it was going to slap into my hand like that? No. If I tried to do it, it would have hit off my knuckle. Then it would have been a fair ball, and I, he probably would have got a double because by the time I spun around. But once again, after the game, I was like, once again, the greatest defensive play ever in the history of Bad Mojo came from Jimmy Plum. So it's the third thing uh, of of me playing with Bad Mojo. I also brought my jersey back because I realized the jersey hung, in, hung hangs in my closet, and it's number 44. And so Mark was kind enough to put the jersey up. He hung it with a candle with my spikes. It's like, you know, honoring. It was like a Buddha moment. And I told him, you can let anybody use this jersey, but it's mine. It's only on a loner. When I come out there, I need, so don't give it to some guy you don't trust. But the other thing is, boy, was that, did that jersey fit me tight, bro? Ooh, <laughs> I was, like, was going to say, you sure about that? Because the jersey was, it's probably 20 years old, but it's, <laughs> they, they got them professionally done. This is like, I think he even said like, they know somebody who gets the shirts from the White Sox. Like this was a, this is a, a really cool jersey, and it it just got tight, man. I was like, oh, even the umpire was like, ah, shirt's a little tight there, huh, fella? And I'm like, wow, the umpire just called me a fat bastard. Um, but it was fun, and of course we won the game. All right, and of course, listen, I was out in L.A., of course, and I did see some people playing cornhole, and it's sad because they didn't have their cornhole levels. And, of course, on this show, we are sponsored by CornholeLevel.com. That's right. If you go to CornholeLevel.com, you will be able to purchase for $19.95 a Cornhole Level Board Equalizer Leveler where you put it on a hole there. You go to, fro, up, down, the proper mechanic. And listen, Chris, you know that um, I'm a great cornhole player, one of the best in the country right now. And But I can't play in a board that's not level. And I know you can't either. I mean, how annoying you're at a backyard party and the, and the boards are not level. I mean, come on now. And Jimmy, you sent me a picture of a board the other day that will look like somebody shit it out. It was, it was like flat. You can't have that. So what this product does for 1995, that's right. You put it on there and you get the exact official measurements and leveler of this board. So when you go to a barbecue or you have your own barbecue, you don't want to be that guy that sets up the boards in the backyard and then the boards look like crap. You got to go to cornholelevel.com. It's a little gadget. It's awesome. I think it's a, a great gift because it works. You get 20% off if you put in JP Show and or Chop Sports uh, into the little code thing there. You get 20% off the 1995 cornhole leveler so really it's 16 bucks you can't go wrong there you go you can't go wrong and this thing works if you want to bring it to a party to bust some guy say you know someone who's into cornhole you got to bring this to the party only you should bring a good bottle of wine okay for the for the missus and then you walk in you're like dude i got the gadget for you bro cornholelevel.com it's great for the kids uh, it's perfect. You can use it indoors, outdoors, barbecues, tournaments. You drop it on the board. It works. It's awesome. My buddy, Mac, Mike Caprio, who is my second second baseman, uh, replacing Mitch Fishman, uh, created this thing. It's awesome. So go check it out at cornholelevel.com. I also went on Saturday night to go see a friend of mine who I was help representing, uh, managing at one point, this young girl, Haley Barna, did a show at the Irondale Theater in Brooklyn. And this is one of those theater shows. She did a great job, by the way. She really, she's, she's very good. 
But man, this was in the heart of Brooklyn, man. 7.30 show. One of those things where if you don't have a GPS and you don't know Brooklyn, you ain't getting there. And I got stuck in massive traffic at the bridge. I got stuck in traffic on the BQE. I got stuck in... So I ended up getting there. But they said the show was starting at 7.40. It's going to be 10 minutes late because I was texting with her, um, you know, to find out I need to know. Because a lot of times they have a shut door policy. Once the show starts, they said, no, no, no. Yeah. I got there at 7.40, right at the 10-minute mark. And some little guy at the front's like, oh, I can't let you in. I'm like, come on, bro, let me in. The show goes, the show started 20 seconds ago. I'm like, really? He goes, tell you what, I'll be able to let you back in in 29 minutes. I was like, is that the half? Intermission? He goes, no, that's just a part of the show. I think I can let you in. So I'm like, the, the lobby was 110 degrees. And I'm like, dude, I've been in show for 35 years. If you think I'm sitting in this lobby for twice, I said, listen, you'll let me in? It was like, I think it was like 8.28 or 8.18, whatever the time was. I, I said, I got my watch. I'm setting it. I'm going to figure out, but I'm going to the bar outside and I'm going to time out how long it takes me to walk to the bar and I will be in here five minutes before the time and I'll wait for five minutes. So I go back, I go get a, uh, get a beer, get a glass of wine actually at this uh, uh, cool little bar in Brooklyn. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's not bad. Brooklyn's not that bad. You know, I go back in. Now the door to the whole building is closed and now I'm on the street and I'm like, I'm ringing the bell. I'm like, wait a minute. This guy knew I was coming back. I was the only one coming back. He totally blew me off. Now I'm outside. I just text my friend going, well, I I came here with good intentions. And so then all of a sudden, an old man comes walking out. It was obviously a, uh, somebody who had to leave. He was an audience member. So I go in. But I remember the guy saying, when you wait in the lobby, you can't go through those double doors. So I'm thinking, maybe the entrance is in the back part of the stage. I don't want to interrupt my friend's show by having Johnny Baboon walk through the show, you know. But I, the, the door was cracked open a little bit. And I, I opened it a little bit. I realized I'm not in the back of the, of the stage. I was able to creak it up enough where I could see the audience. But I could see how it's a theater in the round kind of thing, but not towards where the door was. And I was able to sneak in. And, and watch the show from the corner. Um, but then I realized that the actors coming off would see me off stage, but none of the audience members could see me. And I watched the show from back there, but it was just the idea like, you can't lock me out of the show. What are you nuts? But I was able to watch it. I was very impressed. It's one of those intense plays with a lot of good acting and monologue. So a big shout out to production. Uh, and I hope they get picked up for a bigger run. So that's that. We're getting to the end of our show, but I'll be quick. Um, Better Call Saul ended its run. It's over. I'm very sad. The last episode, you, I know you're not a Better Call Saul. I, I, I'm, I am. Yes, I watched Breaking Bad. I'm not fully up on the final season of Better Call I'll, Saul. Then, but... I'll, then I'll talk about it without mentioning plot points. Um, this was a very... Uh, I had trouble following this one. So your, my advice to you is like, watch it when you're fully awake and there's a lot going on. And uh, very dialogue, very imagery, like they always do. Um I, I, I got to admit, I actually had to, in my head, I had it like, uh, you know, what was going on. And I actually, of course, I Googled the hell out of it afterwards. And I was like, okay, uh, you know, that, that, that my, my head was in the right spot. Great acting, great, uh, pretty cool ending too. Uh, and we'll talk about it. To me, it's the way it had to end. So there's no, uh, not only this just plot points, if anybody hasn't watched it yet, catch the ending, it's cool. Now, El Capitan, ESPN, um, 
I actually loved the last two episodes. Uh, and as I discussed last week, what I loved about it was just a reminder of things. But what I really liked about it more than the Jordan thing, and it had the same feel, um, probably produced by the same people. Um, I thought Jeter was about as honest and um, F you to people as he possibly could, knowing Derek Jeter is a brand, it's a company, you know, Peyton Manning Inc., Derek Jeter Inc., Michael Jordan Inc. Um, he, they interviewed some press guys who were busting his balls about being a bad interview. And Jeter would, they must have shown him the interview and then they had Jeter on camera and he was like, what is that guy talking about? Like, he has no idea. He really mocked out some of the uh, uh, press in terms of like, you don't know what you're talking about. Why should I give you a quote that could affect uh, what was going on? You know, I'm here to win. I, I'm during the game. He was honest about, he was dating that uh, his wife at the time. And he was like, no, there was no way I was getting engaged because you can't be a boyfriend or a, or a dad the way I am. Uh, once the season starts, I'm 100% all in all the time. They ta- He talked about, I thought Cashman was honest with the contract thing. Um, how great was it when Jeter was like, I, you know, they were, they were, you know, in those contract things, they, they, it's a business. They got to they got to discuss you know what, what you're what you what, what you do wrong. Is. And Jeter was like, "Well, name three better shortstops." And Brian Cashman said, "Well, Jeter asked." So I stared him dead in the face and I I told him who the three shortstops that are better than him. And you know, Jeter of course was like taken aback, but he goes, "I respected Cashman. I asked the question and he fired back, but he goes, "But I'll prove them wrong." And then they talked about how a year later or in the second year of his contract, he ended up um, leading the uh, major league in hits, which I love that stat. Average hits, those are important things. Not O-B-S-W-A-R-L-B-G-T-Q, average, no, no, hits. You were up there, you get a hit. That's what it counts, batting average. Uh, he led the league. And uh, then they talked about how a great part of it was uh, all the scouts and the coaches knew that Jeter was really lost his range um, and his arm was troublesome. And so Cashman, but they wouldn't tell Jeter. I'm not going to tell D- Jeter he can't play if he sucks in the field. And I remember as a fan being like, you don't really notice. Fans don't really notice range. You notice when you bobble the ball. But, you know, those those uh, those balls like up the middle. Certain, certain ones it, that certain guys get to that you don't expect right. other guys. But, yeah. you know, listen, Jeter's Jeter. He's an icon. Did I, did I really know? Not really. But he, um, he made a lot of throwing errors. I do remember that. And bounced into a lot of double plays. So Cashman goes up to him and says, hey, man, you know, looks like, you know, your fielding or stats. And, you know, they have stats on all this stuff now. You really, your fielding's really starting to get shitty. And we got to make decisions. And, you know, you want to D8. You know, it was one of those things. And, and Jeter was totally like, what are you talking about? I'm playing fine in the field. And then Cashman said, well, the three guys in charge of that are saying, no, no, you're not. And that's when Jeter, that's why I give him much more credit. It's a much better show than the Jordan show. Because Jeter looked at the camera and said, wait a minute, are you telling me that these three coaches and their analytics are telling me I suck in the field now? And Jeter goes, and they're not telling me because I'm who I am? So that's when he realized they're probably right. And he goes, I fired my train. Not fired. He goes, I switched trainers. I worked on agility. Um... And I, I started to immediately go crazy on my fielding. And they, then they cut to some sports reporters, including Susan Wallman, saying, you know, next thing you know, everybody knew Jeter was sliding in the field. But the next season, 
it took everybody a while to go, hey, wait a minute. We've been saying privately that Jeter can't play the field, but he's playing awesome in the field right now. A lot of the uh, sports writers are like, you know what? I thought Jeter was done in the field. And I was like, nope. Uh, once again, Jeter proved us wrong. Um, it was really cool. It was also nice with the Susan Wallman thing. He told her, Susan, when I, when I announce my retirement, I'm going to tell you uh, first. And next, you know, she's out walking the dogs and Jeter calls him up. Hey, Susan, it's Jeter. This can be my last season, I'm telling you first. And then he left a message with Hank Steinbrenner and he checked the message, but then he, he had stuff to do and he didn't get a chance to call everybody. And it was like, he was like, I can't believe Jeter's retiring. And I was like, yeah. so he admitted he was a jerk off in that way. And then Jeter admitted something really cool too. He was like, I hurt my ankle. It slowed me down. My, my, my re, which I forgot, by the way, he hurt his ankle in game one of the Detroit series in the playoffs. Completely forgot about that. Out the rest of the playoffs. Um, he admitted that rehab, he was getting older. Also, he was getting some ass. He was dating the hottie right now. You know, he was, I think he was starting to see life on the other end. And then when he broke it again the next season, in the beginning, he was out that whole thing of 2013. And to rehab it took him time. Then he realized, you know what? I'm 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 done. I'm, I saw what happened to Posada, and most of the players I've seen, except for Mariano, get moved out. Uh, most most pro players, it doesn't end well. I would say it's probably a good idea. I would say maybe ninety percent all leagues, it doesn't end well. Uh, more than you know, ninety. It may, it may ninety. It, they still want to play. Very few get to go out, and he got to go out on his own terms. And, uh, and of course, magic, you know, hitting a home run for 3,000 and then going five for five in the game. And then that, that Oriole game, his last home game, they were up by one. He wasn't going to get another at bat and then a home run here. You can see Jeter's pissed in the field that they're going to blow it. Then they tie it up and then runners get on. There is Jeter up with the left and he gets a classic, classic inside out Jeter base hit, which he's got 3,000 of those. Uh, so it was a really good show. I think even if you're not a Yankee fan, I think if you hate the Yankees, I could be wrong on this. If you hate the Yankees, I think this show works. I do. Because I think Jeter is brutally honest about how he's like, yeah, A-Rod, listen, I didn't want to be there when he did the steroids. Nobody did. But we went. He's on my team. He's a teammate. He goes, he screwed it up. And he was angry. He goes, not everybody did steroids back then. And I worked my ass off. And people, he was honest about that. I mean... I I think he comes away, and I'm not a Jeter guy. Like I I love him, but he wasn't like I wouldn't like. I'm never gonna buy a number two shirt. Just not. I'm a Reggie Jackson guy, 44, and I like all the shitty Yankees: Strawberry, Sheffield, John Carlos Stanton, the ones that are the flawed strikeout guys. I love because um, you only have one of them on the team. The current Yankees have 11 of them on the team. But I think the show works better than the, the Jordan thing. It's like, Michael, 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 Michael's great, Michael's great. Jeter was like, no, I was angry when we lost. I, I wanted to do better and stuff like that. And his mother and father are awesome. It's a cool thing. Cool show. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't know. Did you like it? I did. Obviously, yeah. the first two episodes, you know, it was a lot of the Jeter speak. You got to do what you got to do. But he was honest. Um, I think he came away looking a little bit better because it was a finally he opened up a little bit. You got a glimpse into like his yeah. personal life and things like that. So that was cool to see, but I don't typically like documentaries the done the way this one was done. This one, it exceeded my expectations for yes, sure. It certainly did for me. And I did like the Jordan one. I loved it. Yeah. That's because you're, you're not a Nick fan. So, and Jordan's, you know, I mean, you gotta be, uh, I don't think Jordan. Uh, I think what the Jordan one did was it gave a lot of the people that didn't get to see Jordan play a good intimate understanding yes. as to how that Correct. era was Correct. and how dominant but, he was. 
I think he comes off. I think Jordan, though, if you did know, if you did follow he is, that era, he is who he is. Jordan came off worse, and they skipped over some major topics. But again, same thing with the uh, captain. They 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 would go over a series at the Yankees one, and then you know realize like a lot of those Twins games we won four to three, three to two, and they're glossed over. And I'm like, wait a minute, we bet. There were games, like there were Nick games, where they were the Knicks were down by one with 30 the, seconds the with o, the ball. The 9 World Series, A-Rod oh. hit the home run off Joe Nathan in the ninth, yeah. bottom of the ninth. Yeah, and how about how about the Mets series? My God, that guy, that series was closer, you know, I think I one mean, game five right? games, but yeah, every game No, but the tight. games were, it's know, like the uh, Ranger LA Kings, it was the closest, I think in the history of the, of the NHL Finals, the Rangers-Kings series was the closest ever, all overtime wins. Rangers, the shots off the post on both sides, but you know the Rangers, they won. You know, they lost. Anyway, I uh, got a bunch of stand-up gigs coming up. I got a gig on September 10th. I got a gig on September 11th. I'm hosting the Southern Cross reunion down at the Osprey. I'm doing a show on September 23rd in Warwick, and I'm doing a show November 1st in Ohio with my um, my co-host Rick Antonori on my. Uh, whatever happened to that guy show, which will be returning to the airwaves soon. Um, I'm going to call him today to figure out what we're going to do. And uh, so that's it. Uh, good to have you back, Chris. A uh, little bit of a long show today. Good Didn't to be back. That. Oh, and oh, a big good. shout out to a guy I go to uh, in, from Ramsey, Mr. Shafano, I'll call him. Um, he, I was, uh, I, I, I have tomato plants at the at the pastors uh, where they live I, that I had extra, so I'm, I have to water them because priests don't like to water tomato plants. And I'm trying to keep them alive because it's been been 100 degrees since May 8th. And um, so if you don't water stuff, it dies now because of the drought. Um, thank God it's raining today. But And I see him there, and he comes up to me. I did not know he was a listener. And this guy, I don't even know him that well. I mean, I, I see him. How you doing? I know his, his wife better, Donna. He was like, dude, show number 75. Like, he knew the number of the show. He knew 76 was coming up. Uh, he goes, I listened to every... He couldn't have been more complimentary. Um, I was like, dude, thank you. He totally made my day. He was like, I love listening to your show. And you never get that. And, and when you... and to- Yeah, and when you second guess, like, what the fuck am I doing? Then you'll be able to draw back on that comment and be like, right. you know what? I'm making somebody's day. Uh, absolutely. So a big shout out to him. Thank you for listening. Um, now I got to get him to do Patreon. Um, so that, that's my way of getting, uh, listen for that nice compliment. You got to give me $3 a month. He's stroking <laughs> ego or two here or there. No, it was a very nice thing. I don't listen. I care about Patreon, but he doesn't have to do it. it just keep on telling me how uh, we're doing a nice job here. And I appreciate that. Um, I'm also doing a show in Scotch Plains on 929. That's it. I talked way too long and, uh, I will talk to you later on. And next week we really might have a special guest. Where have you come from? Where have you gone? How long has it been, honey? Since you've been home? Has it been a